Hey, my name is Julie Leone and this podcast is called What's Your Thing? This is where I have conversations with people about their passions, ideas, pastimes, missions or lifestyle that I find inspiring. I hope you do too. Hi, it's Julie Leone here um, with, with my cousin today. So my cousin, um, who I'm going to introduce to you in a minute, but the, the person I first met him was as a small boy called David. So he's younger than me. And I remember when we first met in a family garden, he's got these amazing piercing blue eyes that are the things that I most, uh, I suppose, remember him as. And then kind of our lives, you know, kind of carried on and we we both grew up and the next thing I suppose I became aware of him was when my dad sent me a copy of I think it was the Times or the Guardian and a big picture of David now all grown up wearing a zoot suit I think full page colour spread where he was running um co-running maybe he'll talk a bit more about that the Modern Times Club um with lots of A-list celebrities Kind of hanging out there and I was kind of in awe in awe of this person but had no relationship with him at that at that time but then again it would have been another family event about three years ago maybe um and through there we've kind of reconnected um but he's not David anymore he's Parseval Solomon and I could introduce him in many, many ways. So he obviously there's the Modern Times Club. He's also in the process of um, setting up her business. And he could say this so much better than me, um, making jeans that are kind of lifelong inheritance pieces of clothing. Um, he's got a whole background in shamanism. He's got an amazing idea for a kind of magic shop. He's in the middle of making a bamboo bike. Um, I know. Uh, but he's sitting sitting here today um, kind of with me. Actually, we were having a conversation about feeling a bit kind of vague and, and diffuse. And when we were talking about, well, what's your thing? Then actually we were just going to start there with kind of feeling vague and diffuse. So Parsville, my lovely cousin, hello. And just maybe just how are you doing? Hi. Hi. I am. I'm doing all right. I've had a nice walk. And I saw a J, which uh, is always good. Will you just tell us that Jay story? Because I remember you. Oh, yeah. So I've spent the whole lockdown. Anyone that knows me, I've been planting trees and um, kind of worrying about the world coming to an end. And you told me a lovely story about Jay's. Tell me, I don't know if you would share that story. Yeah, well, um, I always thought of my father. Well, my as some as my father's like an oak and i feel that's kind of that's the male line from his father as well uh, and my mother i always felt of had a very bird-like spirit and um it was earlier this year i did a clown course in london and i was walking into clown school one morning and a jay Sort of followed me through the park really close or sometimes following me sometimes pacing me in front um kept sort of hopping and flying just to the next bit and the next bit and i'm i guess i'm more used to jays in the countryside being very shy so it was it felt like 
a particularly close encounter with a quite mysterious shy bird. Uh, but they're also, they've got a very, uh, not very, it was sort of a slightly flamboyant side, uh, which is a nice, nice little paradox. And I, I started to realize that, of course, jays have a very strong relationship with oak trees um, in lots of particular ways. And, uh, you know, the reason that you find oak trees growing on their own in the middle of fields is probably because a jay has put the acorns there. And that actually it's not just burying acorns, well, we think, it's not just burying acorns for its own future consumption, but when it finds a young oak tree, it does all this behavior which seems to encourage the tree's growth, the sapling. Uh, so, yes, they also seem to be tending and planting oak trees, as well as living in them and eating the acorns. So, uh, so walking into clown school, I, I suddenly had this thought, well, my father's an oak, and maybe my mother was a jay. Uh, she's a bird, if that's her, you know, in spirit. Um, and then, of course, I thought, what do you get if you put a jay and an oak together and make me a joke? Which felt really reaffirming on my way to, you know, a a, a, to a clown course, which I flunked in the end. <laughs> well, yeah, so it's in, there's so many threads just in that story, isn't there? The importance of kind of your connection with nature. And I know when you told me that story, it was, uh, um, I suppose, for me, that sense of God, if we could just leave nature alone, it, it's perfectly capable of looking after its, looking after itself. But then also, I mean, like, there's so many questions. What were you doing in clown school? What, so, what, because you and you said you flunked. Is that what does that even mean? What does well, clown school even mean? Well, it was somewhere between taking it too seriously and not taking it seriously enough. Um, so what was it? Why did you go? What, what uh, was your your hope from it? Well. I, I have this sort of long, long-standing deep affinity with a surrealism, uh, on the, and actually that sort of underpins everything. I think like, spiritually, I'm a surrealist somehow, um, uh, and I guess that moves from there to everything. So, so politically, I'm a surrealist as, uh, in some ways. Um, and I've been really sort of really interested in how to embody the fool um, and the trickster and how powerful that can be and um, how you know I mean it's a sort of it's not just the starting point for the sort of the major arcana of the tarot the fool setting off into this journey of life but there's also you know it's also able to play both sides and there's a, sort of, uh, some really central aspect of reality or cultural reality is shaped by the trickster it's a really important figure so I guess I was hoping to get into that and this clown course in particular was inspired by loosely inspired by sacred clowning techniques of the North American Indians, or not, okay, te not techniques at all, actually, it's a really bad word for it, but, but sacred clowning traditions. 
Can we just pause there? Because there's lots of things I'm not sure mm. that I understand. So like you said that you were a, a spiritual and a um, political surrealist. So when you say surrealist, like I get Salvador Dali's pictures of elephants and swans coming into my head, but I can't make sense of that with regard to politics and spiritual life. So can you just explain that a bit more? Mm, well, I guess the it's a really underrepresented aspect of what surrealism as an art movement was about. But it's actually, you know, it's even to describe it as an art movement, I think, uh, misrepresents what was really at its core, which was a really serious um, struggle to liberate humanity and, on the deepest level. It's, it's to liberate the unconscious and the irrational and the surreal from this bearing in mind that it came into being after the First World War and in sort of 1920s Europe. Um, this is like where this is like incredible powers of industrialization and capitalism and reason and rationalism had really industrialized mankind. And from within those like, very rigid walls, the surrealists thought that no, we have to, this is revolution. You know, we really, we have to, we're being, this idea of what reality is, is being forced on us really strongly and conditioned into us. And so we have to use all these techniques to try and find our way out of it, um, which I think, uh, still it's still very very relevant and for me actually they what we have the sort of knowledge and the cultural reach that we have now uh i guess 100 years down the line which for me sort of provides um the missing pieces of the puzzle are like the, the sort of indigenous culture and understanding that actually we were always dreamers and we were always used mythology as medicine and that are probably this sort of this heavy rationalism this really hard this hard and bright and quite inhuman and machine-like state which drives our world or which we, we get pushed into is only a relatively recent thing, but it's actually still possible to look into other aspects of humanity that are there. And I'm not sure that in the 1920s, in the middle of that, they were, you know, some of these links to the tribes in the Amazon and their medicines and other cultures and other sort of knowledge traditions and other ways of thinking weren't quite as available. So it's kind of like, let me just check I've got this. <laughs> it's a, so that sense of them wanting to shake up. So I suppose the Industrial Revolution and all that was just that this is the one reality. It's an empirical reality. It's a measurable scientific rational reality. And that's it. And the surrealist kind of you're interested in it was the way that they were trying to shake that up and say, well, no, there's different. There's the unconscious, there's the pre-conscious. There's, there's, more, there's more to it. Than that, did they throw out the rush? Did I get it? You're shaking your head. I didn't get it. Did no, I get as, it? As, yeah, that, that's, is that right? I, that is absolutely it. I mean, it was it was in terms of 
this absolutely imprisons and crushes the spirit of humanity and we need to let that free um they had a particular sort of way of trying to do that and I, that involved some things which seemed quite violent like there was a a uh, i think it might have been andre breton who said that the only true surrealist act or the most surrealist acts there can be is to walk out into the street with a revolver firing at random Ooh. Yeah, so there's a sort of, oh, they like they, they liked big talk and bravado quite a lot. And actually, in a sense, you know, the, the sort of, the stakes of the game were at times very, very high, and they did take it very, very seriously. And there was a an associated group, they didn't call themselves surrealists, but there were members of people had been associated with the surrealists, who were very close to... Um, conducting a ritual sacrifice in the forests outside oh. Paris to cut somebody's head off, a willing, a willing victim. These were intellectuals, these were French Parisian intellectuals in the 30s and 40s. And it was such a, they needed something of that strength of symbolism to redeem reality or to, to play with it. So that, that okay. So so were they doing drugs? Was this like what what was the drug scene back then? No, I don't think so. Not particularly, oh. actually. They weren't uh, like it wasn't really around in you know. No, there's certainly not the kind of substances we have available to us now. They had you know they had marijuana and but they weren't particularly. So it wasn't driven from that place. No. No, so, no. And how does that link into? So you were t like, how? What does? If we had a pol a political system that was surreal now, what would that look like? Well. I mean, they were this, this uh, historically the surrealists went from Marxism, Marxism to uh, a kind of anarchy, um, and the uh, situationists were sort of the, I guess, the, the kind of political evolution of that sort of idea of anarchy. Um, and so would they be against all centralized government and all kind of political parties and or would they look for different ways of doing that it's uh this is an area where i was never actually that interested in the sort of the specific specifics okay. of, of, of building a new society because i think at that point their their the game was a bit more the destruction than okay. than the building and it it's yeah, I think uh, that fits okay. naturally to the temperament of what they were doing, to some degree. That of not building anything that's what you know, in quotation marks, realistic. Okay, and so then that how does that? So then we were talking about clowning and the trickster, and it seems to me that the the, the brief that bit that you said about the trickster was something about ch changing the ability to change, and I can see that those two sort of connect so just again can you say a bit more about the trickster because that's what took you to the clowning course mm, i think there's something in the trickster that whenever we as like as human beings i i feel like whenever we start to differentiate reality from this sort of 
uh, unified continuum and stream and interconnected, you know, un unity of inter infinite interconnectedness. As soon as we start to bring in words and definitions and ideas that, are, that separate bits of that stream from other bits, and as soon as we create a, a, a kind of binary, you know, anything that there's always one side of that separation and another side of that separation, the trickster's always very close around somehow. There's something going on with how easy it is to change reality just by doing, just by those acts of speaking and um, of describing the world and interacting with it in those ways that is quite a lot more a lot more ambiguous than it might at first appear because at first it might appear that we've made a distinction and that we can define something and that there's a quite clear line there but that line i think it's a magic line in the universe and somehow it's it needs it needs to be honored as magic and I think the trickster is the figure. The trickster is the god that creates that, and that is sort of is always casting a spell over reality in that way. So there's somehow, somehow that seems to me like a really important um, Uh, a really important idea or energy to to, to have for me. Uh, sort of... It was interesting then your hands were moving around in circles, <laughs> yeah. weren't they? Yeah. Like trying to, I don't know, mix things or or, or gather things or... Um, and I'm curious, you know, you're using the word magic. So obviously uh, we've probably lost all the rationalists at this point, haven't we? Some time ago on this conversation, but I'm kind of, what do you mean by magic? What does magic mean to you? Oh, oh yeah. In one sentence, one simple <laughs> sentence. <laughs> oh, that's a hard one, actually. Um, I guess it. I guess it means. Connection with parts of myself that uh, uh, feel much more primal and much more powerful and much more fluid than the parts which are, uh, sort of are formed by and which fit into the, the rationalist framework of the world. And that, I think we're sitting so so my mind's going so in my head this so is the picture that came up when you said that is almost like a, I had a picture of a ration the box is kind of a sorry rationalism is a kind of box and then the magic when you were talking about the magic it was kind of swirling slightly psychedelic colors coming out of the box I don't know that's what came up when you were speaking then that was my stunned silence <laughs> well it, it's it has a lot to do with imagination. And I think imagination is really important. And I guess I guess I should say that I don't think um, rationalism 
or the rational reason thinking is bad per se. Uh, it's just that it's we've allowed it to become a limit. You know, we've allowed it to sort of to uh, limit what's the the possibility of you know of what what reality is by limiting ourselves. Uh, well, I guess they're the same thing, sort of different um, different views. So, uh, and I think that's the if it becomes something that limits the the soul or the, limits the the psyche, then which of course is underneath that conscious mind is uh, an infinity of complexity and weirdness and body and more senses than we have names for and through the, all those you know through our feet connecting into the movements of the earth and in ways that will never be presentable to our conscious minds so that's that is a, an infinity of reality in and unto itself and it works in all sorts of strange ways and it plugs us into to everything to the dynamic of everything and the relationship of everything can you give us some example or an example of of, of an experience i don't know you know it, where you've felt that because it sounds so and 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 i know that the way you've just described it some of it can't be put into words mm. But I wonder if you, you've got a story to tell us. Well, I do try to, I guess just part of what I do is somehow try and use words to uh, move towards that place. And so open up the possibilities of that place. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about my feet because I like to walk a lot. And I think, I guess, feet are the parts of us that are the furthest away from the heads where I think a lot of the problems a lot of my problems tend to be in all my many heads <laughs> <laughs> um, and so and you know and feet are really good symbols for the part of us that not isn't just you know grounded on the earth and like in contact with solid earth but also we can let our feet take us and our feet have taken us to all sorts of places. And I think they're really interesting symbols as well as literally being the things which keep us balanced and upright. Um, but as an interface between us and the living earth, I think they're really lovely, lovely. It's a really lovely way to think about them. So I like to go on walks really putting the intention in that every step onto the earth is a uh, like a prayer for the, the well-being of everything and but also that they can receive information from the walk from the earth and that tends to have an effect which slowly I mean, it's it needs a bit of boundary setting and intention and it's not just whenever i go walking anywhere but over the course of a long long walk doing that and letting my feet guide me guide where the walk wants to go or rather not just my feet but a part of me that's uh, that isn't my head that's, that's much lower down 
or deeper or higher. Um, that's where that's where sort of that's where those bits need to go, and they have a really deep wisdom and a connection with other mysteries, I guess. And that sort of uh, and then you they have the connection with a part of me, which is a part of the universe which is a part of the living earth, which is outside of time. So then what does that mean for you, for you to have that experience of being connected across space and time to things outside mm. of your feet? What's that meant for you in your life? It's, I guess I found it to be healing and inspiring and sort of my the the way of connecting to myself and my imagination and and my emotions uh i've just i've, I've always walked and walks have always in one way or another sort of allowed me to reflect on myself and somehow walk through myself and i, I know wherever i've lived i've just i've walked through the landscape or the cityscape as if walking through myself um, and whatever the shape of the walk it sort of ends up on some dimension as a labyrinth um, but and yeah there was there have been points this year where nothing has made sense at all except perhaps Reeves and Mortimer and this <laughs> And Viz magazine, and then walking and like putting my feet in a straight line, basically, and just the, that basic act of foot on the floor, foot on the floor, <laughs> foot on the floor, has been somehow like somehow the only thing that's made sense. Mm. So I, yeah, I remember uh, reading um God years ago Bruce Chatwin's The Song Lines and how he I think it was the first time that I'd had the idea that we'd been nomadic and the importance of for the newborn baby that sense of being constantly in motion from the mother's womb to being carried and then that the, we're designed to walk we're not designed to be you know sitting on zoom at at desks and the kind of and how actually when the tribes that he was writing about was still there was an anxiety because that's not mm. what they were meant to be and actually you were more at risk then of of predators and um, you know the, the 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 comfort was in the walking which kind of just it reminds me a bit of what you're saying and I'm a walker I think you know when I'm up yeah yeah I think that goes back to my mum that when we were we didn't have much money so whenever well, that's what we did we just went for a walk but I think it's one of the biggest gifts that she gave me is because I know that I've walked through bereavements and fear and sadness and joy and excitement and 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 now through COVID, it's it's well, what should we do? Well, let's meet for a walk. <laughs> we can't meet in coffee shops or so yeah, that sense of I don't know. I wonder if we're designed to walk more than we currently do. But it sounds like for you it's more than like, did you come across this yourself? Or so so I'm aware of the shamanic bit in you. Did you get this through the shamanic bit or did the walk did you walk into shamanism? How did how did you find your way there? Oh, I don't know if I walked into shamanism. I sort of uh, fell backwards through a trapdoor and a 
like in a slide into a swimming pool of shamanism somehow. Uh, no, I think the walking was always there and there was always the possible, there was always a mystical side to the walking as well. Um, and it was always possible to just by walking, just by that sort of rhythmical hypnotic state that the feet themselves are sort of hypnotizing you mm. um, to get into a sort of dream, you know, into like other dream states or states of waking dream or act, you know, active imagination, or some other way of interacting into some other space and time going on. Uh, so I could always do that even in quite simple little mundane ways, even just going for a short walk to clear some, clear the air and get some space for the head. That's doing those things, you know, it's, mm. it's, it's changing the space and time and allowing that to, allowing other parts of yourself to move free. But um, I guess there's also that restlessness and that nomadic side of me where I've never settled down and, um, I do feel quite comfortable being on the move. Mm. And, and again, there's been quite a lot of research, hasn't there, that, in, that, that that's humanity, that in fact we are. That's, there are roots, aren't they, to be on the move. It's only in the latter part of human history that this idea of settlement. Mm. Um, yeah, and then nowadays we have settlement, but also a huge amount of motion at the same time. Like we're just, we're moving very far, very fast all the time, every day in you know, hermetically sealed shrieking metal canisters. Uh, even if it's just a short, short trip to work mm. and back. We're not uh, moving forward, are we? We're moving there and back, work and back, home and back, school and back. When rather than the nomadic walking you know across i don't know in mongolia they still have nomadic tribes don't they where they and the sami tribes the reindeer tribes of blackland i think are still nomadic where they don't go there and back they go from a to b to c to d and then kind of come back again according to the seasons and i for me that's very my different the there and back feels much more exhausting than the the, the onwards <laughs> from A to B. Yeah, well, it's it's it's. Uh, I feel weird in in houses somehow. Um, I feel like I don't know. So I look at these flat, square, right-angled walls that are bare and smooth and. Um, the surfaces are smooth and there's no, there's nothing, I don't know if they feel like it doesn't fit for me. The house I'm in at the moment was pro probably built for, you know, Victorian or Edwardian kind of middle-class family with a very, very different set of outlook, very different outlook to me entirely really so it doesn't feel like it fits me to be in this brick house particularly have you got an idea of what would fit you um being a dolphin 
<laughs> so tell me about that. <laughs> I don't know. I um I just before I moved here I was bouncing around and uh suspending so you know, a week here, a few days there, a few weeks here and there. And that was working out quite nicely. I knew I needed somewhere to settle down a bit to start getting some work done. But, and I ended up in this house, which belongs to a friend of mine that was free at the time and is in a quite nice area, but um, never, it was only ever meant to be temporary. And so I've got to move on again quite soon, but actually I'm really not sure where I want to go. And um, I, that's part of this state that I've been in is it's really difficult to talk about mm. what, not even talk about, but sense what I want. Or sometimes there is a small sense, but it's impossible to sort of grasp it in any way, let alone talk about it. Um, trying to put any that's sort of putting too much pressure on it it's still mm. it's still too nebulous and too unformed it's like a it hasn't grown up enough yet somehow so and that's You're still trying to feel your way into something yeah that's not fully yeah formed yet yeah and but I but i do know the one thing that i know is that i think i should be by the sea mm. um but I don't know where or how or what, or even if that's, I should just move there straight away or I'll end up near there or there's other sea-like things, you know, like I, I could find the sea in the mountains maybe, you know, or the sea in the desert. I don't know whether that's enough, but, or maybe I just need to be by the sea. And it's funny, you're talking about knowing, you know, no, I know, I know. So, so I suppose, that, like I can't my experience of that recently is the I know I need to be near horses I can't really tell you why but I just have to be near horses because that's it seems to have so much energy it's like they're a magnet and it's completely without any rational reason at all it's just so is it that sort of a almost a magnetic for me it's an almost magnetic pull to the horse thing I can't explain why really yeah yeah absolutely absolutely I um uh I made it to Hastings at the beginning of September and that was the first time I'd been in the sea, I think all year. Um, and it was really, <laughs> it was what, it was so good. It was so good. I, I got in the sea and I just giggled for about 20 minutes with delight at the sensation of being in the water it mm. was so pleasurable and uh it felt so good yeah, yeah. no I've missed that through lockdown now I kind of want to because I'm aware of the fact we've kind of gone from jays and trees and uh kind of tricksters and what is reality and and I, I guess there's part of me thinking there's a because there's a voice in me that I think you know which um you know we've kind of we've probably both inherited a little bit of which is the but 
um, and it's the voice of society. But the, well, what about when are you going to settle down and get a proper job? And how are you earning money? And and how are you going to pay your bills? And 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 uh, that sort of stuff. And I know that um, you know it's very hard to escape that voice. So I'm curious about how you how you relate to that voice and how you live with that voice kind of because it's a it's a because my experience is that 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 kind of magnetic pull towards horses is only I'm only allowing that now when I'm 53 because that hyper rational voice about well, you've got to earn money you've got to pay the bills you've got to be sensible you've got to you know do all the sensible things that it's very hard to tune into the magnetic pull towards horses or the sea and I'm kind of curious about how you navigate that because it seems to me to link back to the you know the surrealist trying to chop off somebody's head in the woods in France and it's kind of like well I get I get the symbolism behind that but actually we all have that and in, when I'm coaching people it's so much it, that's the voice the anxiety voice about not missing out not getting left behind you know the whole covid rhetoric about schools we don't want our kids to get behind oh my god what if they miss a year of school um, so what, what, how do you, how do you yeah. deal with that, that inner, how do you, I mean, do you, I'm get, do you have that inner, inner voice? Is it there? Oh, massively, massively. It's, it's been such a big year for that, uh, for, for working out sort of how, how strong that voice is, or I am, and it's very, it's the voice that's, that's reinforced massively by culture around us yeah um i think or it is for me it's really easy for that voice to be sort of feel like it's got all the weight of the world and the systems mm. of the world and governments and you know yeah banks and and all these institutions um and it's also the 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 hyper alert voice I think it, it it uses the rational because the rational offers a really good way of feeling like it's in control um and yeah I've sort of noticed uh, I noticed uh, how uh, okay I'll start again I think with this little This little bit, um, this, it's been really, uh, well, it's hard to put words to it. Hmm. So, trying to plan trying to sort of order my future and order the world around me and the space around me is something that it sort of it feels like it, it verges on the obsessive or the compulsive it, it, at times it, and it feels like a there's a sort of anxiety that comes up if my space if I can't control my space, even with like meaning, meaningless domestic 
things which really of of no consequence whatsoever except for the fact that it's i'm ordering the space around me in the way that i like to order it there's absolutely no value as to whether it's ordered my way or somebody else's way other than it's just mine and that only really manifests itself when I'm feeling quite vulnerable and there's some there's some sort of openness and vulnerableness in me that I I I, I immediately sort of look to protect myself and I don't know if you saw that film uh my teacher the octopus oh yeah that was amazing yeah, yeah. well so it's a documentary if anyone has has not seen it on um, one of the internet channels wasn't it I think yeah about a guy that makes friends with an octopus <laughs> yeah it's yeah. a really it's just a yeah octop beautiful yeah o octopus is a great great incredible things and it's a really lovely film um i also saw the same thing happen they got it on i think blue planets or something like that where this little octopus with its arms and its suckers grabs all the broken shells and pebbles yes. and detritus yeah. around it and creates this armor and camouflage and sort of wraps itself with this incredible kind of array of little bits and bobs of just seafloor sea sort of jaggedy bits. And it felt like I was doing that with this sort of this way of trying to plan the future, um, trying to order and control my space, but also order and control my time. And that it was basically every little bit of detail about planning, about trying to make things right and the way that I want and, you know, that I can, I can sort of make things more predictable and easy to deal with felt like that the octopus is doing the same thing. Um, so the octopus does it when it feels threatened, right? It's, a, yeah, it's, well, I mean, only I think when it's, it's a kind of quite last gasp thing. Yeah. It's when it's stuck in, it's not, it's not in its normal hole. Yeah. You know, it, normally it has a hole that it can squeeze itself into that nothing else can get into. But this is when it's stranded and it's in the middle of the, yeah. you know, there's no, there's nothing, there's nothing else to defend itself. So it's quite vulnerable. And so, so my question was about how you deal with that voice about, you know, getting a job and you should be doing this by your age and that by your yes. age. And so, and then <laughs> yeah. you've kind of answered with this image of an octopus feeling massively under attack and grabbing at fragments to kind of shield it, shield itself. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. Well, I, I sort of forgot the question almost immediately. Uh, <laughs> and then there was a big quiet and it, it's yeah. kind of often, yeah. Um, well, that voice has been really strong and I've been in this process since August of uh, having sort of been a lot, I've had a lot of fatigue and I've been my, something has been forcing me to rest and rest and rest and rest and it's such a huge part of that is that that voice doesn't give any validity to the the only thing that things that are valid for it are quite classical ideas of what's productive and useful for the future for money for you know, and I guess there are sort of 
you know, within that I can fold in, well, if I make artwork or if, you know, a certain kind of expression that's also valid, you know, that I can sort of, I can fold that into that concept, but it's pretty rigid and it doesn't really view, it's, a, it's like an outsider's view and I guess probably like my father's view, um, reduced to how I experienced it when I was younger um, and then probably reduced and reduced again through the workings of memory and the mind um, on what's, what's a useful way to spend your time. And, but I've been forced, my, my, my body or something within me is forcing me to not be able to spend my time in those ways that are classic, classically useful and and that's been really difficult and the whole way it's been really hard to rest and now at a stage where I've just gone through three days of not leaving the house of being in bed for 21 hours a day and at times that's quite comfortable if I can give myself this has been going on for months but slowly slowly more and more and more um there are times when I can give myself up to it and enjoy it and there are times where it's really uncomfortable and really mm. difficult and most of what's causing the discomfort is that voice most of what makes it hard for me to just go okay it's winter I obviously there's a part of me which really needs to be in this state and needs this cocoon and needs this womb and needs this sort of shadowy state but that voice is the one that says no 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 it, it's the more that the more the other bits of me relax the more there's that the, the remnants of that voice that part of me are freaking out going what the fuck you know excuse me what's okay. going on what's like uh this is you know alert 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 you know you're you're lying in bed alert 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 you shouldn't lie in bed um and it so it it means that I can't relax that voice, and I and I that you see that speaks to so again when I'm thinking about kind of this year and some of the coaching clients that I'm working with and long tail COVID obviously is a thing isn't it um, which we don't fully understand and and even so even though that kind of is medical in a way which almost makes the resting more legitimate doesn't it if it's a medical thing but even then I'm hearing those those people you know still feeling guilt and shame about you know I, I ought to be being productive and yet I also kind of can hear kind of there's a hypocrisy in me because I find it uh you know really difficult <laughs> really difficult to not be productive and, and I do I can hear an inner judgment voice that pops up at times um and it's and it's almost like when I explore it myself, it's like that inner voice to keep you working. Is it? I think in the first lockdown, where we all did just stop, it was almost like then that unconscious that you were talking about, the non-rational stuff and the walking with your feet on the ground started to kind of rise up through people. People were saying they were listening to the birds and they were had their hands in the soil and they were baking bread and they were... And then it's almost like that busyness and the productivity is like, well, we don't want them. We don't want them thinking too much about just sitting around and 
smelling the flowers um we need them up and productive because if they smell the flowers too much they might have other ideas or something i don't know well i yeah i think the flip side of that is that sort of desperation that was around and is around very much still to get back to yeah. some something that's normal that felt feels really fraught with like it's like we we need that structure we need that armature to build our lives on otherwise there's just this emptiness this openness and uh, that quiet and the other parts of us which get suppressed so much it sounds like it comes from a place of fear then either fear of oh my god i don't have structures who will i be but also maybe fear from the structures that we, we might all turn into dolphins and swim away <laughs> I don't yeah know. yeah absolutely i think both of those things i think both of those things uh, and a large part of what i've been going through is that same thing is it's actually it's I, if I find it really difficult to say what I want and who I am at this moment because I've been in this sort of grey, shadowy, foggy chasm, this sort of abyss which feels like, I don't know, both the, uh, as some original separation of myself from myself and at the same time well, I'm not really sure what, really <laughs> sure. Um, but it's winter. Yeah? Yeah. It's winter. It's dark. Uh, I We're think meant to hibernate. Something, <laughs> something feels quite natural about being in this state for me. I, um, in, a, in one sense, I, I have the. Um, I'm lucky enough that I can afford to do this. I have just enough money saved up to like give me this cushion and, I, and I'm pretty sure that uh, if I had to work well actually it's not true, when I do have to work when I do have to use some energy like if I have to walk you know 40 minutes to town to fill my rucksack with groceries for the week I've got more than enough energy for that when it's when it's necessary so I sort of feel like it's because I have the, this cushion that most people in our modern world just don't have that I'm really lucky at this time in my life I've been able to sort of have a little bit of that space for a short period that um that I've I've been able to go into it but you know there's no like there's no there's no provision you still work your job nine to five or whatever the hours are winter summer whatever the light conditions are outside it's and those are the like those natural rhythms are the ones that our bodies are, have evolved with since the beginning of life, mm. you know, for like a billion years or whatever. Um, and we're trying to force it into something that makes no sense for it. It's interesting because obviously I live around here in a farming community. So you definitely see that, you know, the summer they're out harvesting until late at night because it's light and bright and then, the winter you know the traffic does die down quicker and the farming traffic does so there's that still that sense there and I'm curious about I've noticed because I've moved more of my own work online which means that in a way 
because I'm more in control of my own time, I can be a bit more. So today I've been out in the sunshine because it was sunny and I want to be outside then, but then kind of drawing in in the nighttime. So I'm kind of, I wonder, I'm just wondering whether the fact that people have moved online more, whether that's going to interfere even more because we're sitting in, in front of artificial screens and artificial lights or whether actually it will enable people to go a bit more with their their rhythms and tune into nature. I'm kind of aware we've only got about five minutes more to go and it feels like we've been on a complete meander that's kind of covered everything from consciousness to COVID and dolphins to feet on the soil. And I'm kind of curious, if it, you know, what, what's come up for you in the conversation um, that maybe you weren't expecting to be thinking or talking about? Huh. Um, <laughs> I, I'm drawn straight away to that what looks like a sun head just by your uh, right shoulder. It's a, clay, a terracotta clay sun that a friend brought me back mm. from Italy. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a funny thing, sort of staring out there as we talk about the dark depths of winter. Mm. Uh, I guess I was surprised by that silence and by forgetting that question about that voice. Mm. Be uh, I guess that felt so sort of central uh, and maybe so much a part of what I'm really going through at the present moment that it's hard to hard to talk about it's a bit of distance to talk about it um it was interesting during that moment when i was watching you obviously i can see you on a screen it almost felt like there was an inner something going on between the two voices or the two bits or the multiple bits where it was almost like you had been silenced there were different stories that were trying to be told at the same time so i guess it was there was also a thing about the like which which one do i start with they're linked interlinked they come through together um and there's another story which i i didn't get to tell in answer to i think how some well how my feet connect me mm. i think you asked me and uh it got left behind but it i think it relates to all of this and mm -hmm. Um, a few weeks ago, I went for a walk, um, and because it started, it started raining very strongly. So I huddled under a large tree, um, standing up for quite a long time in one place. It was really beautiful rain, actually. It was a sort of quite warm, um, but thick rain. And there was something quite magical about it. And I started thinking about the roots of the tree and then realizing that under the roots of the tree or in amongst the roots of the tree is where the badgers are. And because it's daytime, the badgers are dreaming. And that the badgers' dreams are kind of, you know, they're surrounded by these living roots. And they're, so the, the, what, the, what the badgers are dreaming and what the roots are doing are in some way inseparable. And actually there's a, a dreaming through the badger dreaming 
that goes through the ground and all the other animals that are dreaming at the same time. And, and what you know, nocturnal animals, like what do slugs dream? You know, what does a slug's nervous system do when it's asleep? I don't know if slugs even sleep, but you know, uh, on, in some way they're also dreaming. So I somehow felt through my feet and through the badgers dreaming underground in the daytime connected to what felt like a, a the communal dreaming the dreaming of everything which felt really really beautiful so i think there's through the tangled roots and underneath it's all connected which feels like the perfect place <laughs> to stop all the hope and also to restart, there's kind of so many <laughs> questions arising, aren't there? And it's all been so intertwined. Um, thank you. Thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been lovely. So I will put any anything I'll, I'll check out with you, whether you want any links put in, in the show notes at the, with the podcast. But otherwise, folks, thanks for listening and just turning off the recording. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. Hey, thank you for listening. Julie Leone here. Well, you can find out more about me at julieleone.com. But more importantly, if you know people or if you are someone who does a crazy thing or something that you feel passionately about or lives slightly differently, then drop me an email at yoursoulworks at gmail.com. Let me know about it and it'd be great to have you or um, your friend if they want to come on to talk about the podcast. In the meantime, if you liked it, please subscribe and if you can leave a review do that way more people find out about it just wanting to share exciting and interesting ideas um, particularly at this weird covid time take care